BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. San Francisco's beloved Castro Theater celebrated its 100th birthday this year, but huge single-screen movie theaters like it have not fared well in recent decades. Very few of them have survived, regardless of what they might have meant to their communities. And so it might seem like good news that Another Planet Entertainment, which now manages the storied venue, wants to restore and renovate it. But there's a catch. They want to replace the orchestra-style seats with removable ones that allow for standing room concerts. Thousands have signed a petition protesting the seating change, arguing it will end the Castro as it has been for a century. What will happen to the theater? We'll discuss with the key players after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. First things first, KQED arts editor Gabe Moline wrote this month, Everybody loves the Castro Theater. But what does love really mean? The current operators want to make major changes to the building to make it more amenable to live music. A group of film-focused community members want it kept more like it's been. Other people worry the new plans will minimize the amount of LGBTQ plus events at the venue. We're going to talk seating plans, operational details, but the basic question today is, what is the future of the Castro Theater? Joining us first, we've got Gabe he is, of course, KQED's arts and culture senior editor. Welcome, Gabe. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Alexis. Thanks. So maybe set us up. Before we get to the seats, what context do we need to understand the dispute over the Castro's future? Um, do you have five hours? <laughs> Why is the <laughs> Just Castro one. important? Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so for those who don't know, the Castro is a 100-year-old single-screen theater, um, and its offerings over the decades have been almost entirely film. Um, for the last several decades, that's been repertory cinema, so they'll do like a Fellini week or a Billy Wilder double, double feature. Um, foreign film, special events, and a lot of film festivals like uh, Noir City, Frameline, the Jewish Film Festival, SF Film, a lot of others. Um, it has a beautiful decor inside. Uh, it has a curtain. It has a Wurlitzer organ. It can show digital, but it still has film projectors, including a 70 millimeter 
projector. Um, it's got a balcony with about 400 seats. And the point of contention here is it has a raked floor with about 800 theater style seats. Um, it is, as they say, a movie palace. You know, there's nothing like it in San Francisco. So while while other theaters reopened after the pandemic, the Castro stayed uh, conspicuously closed. And uh, in January, it was announced that Another Planet, the local live music promoter, would take over operations. This made people very nervous. And then later, uh, they filed plans with the city that showed the removal of the seating along the raked floor and the installation of flat, multi-level tiers, much like the Fox Theater that they also renovated and operate now. Um, Another Planet says they need to do this to stay competitive in the live music market and it will enable them to renovate the theater and upgrade things that film lovers like, like the screen and the sound system, um, and make it accessible from an ADA standpoint. But for these film lovers, the Castro is like church, and taking out the seats would be like ripping out the pews at Grace Cathedral. Yeah. And it's not just uh, film folks, right? I mean, can you talk a little bit about what the Castro has meant as kind of the this bulwark of the Castro as a gay neighborhood and as a, a place for San Francisco's queer communities? Um, so many people I've talked to, even people from another planet, have told me like variations on the same story. You know, they, they came to San Francisco as a young gay man leaving discrimination and an oppressive hometown. And one of the first places they went upon arrival in the city was the Castro Theater, you know, the gateway to the Castro neighborhood. And there is where they found themselves. You know, um, the first movie, I, the first movie I saw there was Grey Gardens uh, when I was about 19. And among the Castro crowd, it's not like going to a regular movie theater. Grey Gardens, not only was it like a crash course in camp, right? But like, I immediately understood why people find themselves at the Castro, the way the audience reacted, the way people were reciting little Edie's lines back to her, you know, people find their people at the Castro. Mm, yeah. We're um, talking about the planned renovations for the Castro Theater. We first up got Gabe Moline, senior editor of KQD Arts and Culture. He's just sharing his uh, earliest memory at the Castro Theater. And we do want to hear from you. Can you share with us your favorite memory of the Castro? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQD Forum. And the email is forum at KQED. Dot org. Um, all right, Gabe, I'm going to bring in our other guests. We've got some of the principals in this uh, in this fair here. Um, we're joined by Greg Perlop. He is the CEO of Another Planet Entertainment. Thanks so much for coming on, Greg. Oh, it's an honor to be here, and thank you for inviting me this morning. Yeah. We're also joined by Peter Pastrick, uh, Executive Director of the Castro Theater Conservancy, which is a nonprofit committed to the preservation of the Castro Theater. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Um, Greg, let's start uh, with you. From your perspective, why don't you give us the plan for the theater as you see it now? Like, what are the big components of this renovation? Well, we're, what we're trying to do is save the theater. You know, it's interesting that just this week, um, one of the two remaining theaters in Berkeley announced uh, that one of them, the plans for the developer was to build a 17-story condominium complex. And so we love the Castro Theater and want it to succeed. Our plans are, you know, that 
quite simply, that we want to, this place to, for everyone to feel safe and welcome. And we want to be able to make it economically viable. Now, what you have to do in this day and age is to have a lot of different activities um, in the theater. So we're talking about having film and music and comedy and community events. Um, one of the, the things that has occurred is people think we're removing the seats. Well, we're not actually removing the seats. We're, we are replacing the seats with better, more comfortable seating. Part of that is that in order to do that, um, we've got to make some changes in the theater. The theater's 100 years old, and if anyone's been to the Castro on a hot day, it's stiflingly hot. So what our plans entail is also to um, improve the airflow. And in days of COVID, you know, the airflow is extremely important. Um, we also um, want to support um, having wheelchair access, having access to everybody. We want everyone to feel safe and welcome. And by um, having these different terraces, um, we're capable of having lifts that allow people uh, in, in, who are handicapped to um, come to the theater, which a lot of people can't. It's illegal now um, what's going on. So we are replacing um, the screen with a better screen. We are replacing the organ with a better organ. It's an unbelievably great new organ. We're taking all of the walls and the beautiful artwork, and, we're and we are having uh, historic artists come in and making the theater glow the way it was intended to. Um, yeah. So we're making a, a whole lot of changes in order to do that. What you have to do is you can't just run one type of activity. Well, Peter, let me ask you this. Uh, Peter Pestrick, uh, executive director of Castro Theater Conservancy. These plans, you know, if you were to just hear this cold sound, pretty decent to me. Um, what What is it that you have taken issue with in, in the plans? Well, the, um, Gre Greg says that the uh, they're not taking out the seats, but of course they are taking out the seats. And um, the... Once, once you have four flat platforms instead of instead of the seats, uh, their their plan is to put in temporary seating, which they'll have to carry in and carry out. Uh, they have no, not demonstrated to anyone that there'll be decent sight lines with those seats. Uh, so the and there's no no one can even think of a, a movie theater, uh, which has the kind of seating arrangement they're talking about with temporary seating. Uh, on flat platforms. Uh, so it, it undoubtedly means the end of film in, at the Castro. Uh, and we're, we're totally in favor of concerts taking place there, of, of comedy taking place there. It's just that the elimination of film seems like a terrible idea when we're talking about the last, the last existing uh, movie palace in San Francisco and one of the great uh, theaters in in the United States. 
You know, Greg uh, Perloff, you know, in an earlier interview, kind of right as you were getting rolling on this renovation, you said, you know, in a venue like the Castro would be lucky to host 130 live events a year. And you said, you know, that leaves you over 230 days for film. It's not like there isn't space to do everything. Do you do you still feel that way uh, or, or do you feel like film film won't be a part of the Castro's future? Well, n- number one, you know, we have a track record of reinventing historic buildings film is absolutely one of the keys and uh to what we're planning on doing and we are not just taking out the seats we're making we're putting taking out the seats as they exist now we're putting in other seats for film that'll be much better much you know much better sight lines and um the characterization that we're not going to do film is just you know not accurate what we need to do is save the castro we need to make it economically viable you know there's a reason 95 percent of the restaurants and bars and and the community support what we're doing uh this is this will have an economic multiplier effect uh what we're planning on doing there'll be much more activity what happens when you have activity you have less crime. You have less negative activity on the streets. This will have such an economic multiplier effect. It's going to help everyone in the neighborhood. And I don't know how else to say we're planning on doing the film festivals that have been there. We're planning on doing a great deal of film because, like I said, there's plenty of dates. There are so many dates for community activity, for film, for comedy, for music. And that's what we're trying to do. The The Castro is suffering right now as a neighborhood. And we we really want to, you know, you know, help the neighborhood. The way you help the neighborhood is to have activity. And so I don't know how many times I can say this. We're not just taking out the seats. What people believe is that there aren't going to be any seats in the theater, and that's just not true. Um, we're going we're gonna to go to a break here shortly. We're talking about the planned renovations for the Castro Theater with Greg Perloff, CEO of Another Planet Entertainment, Peter Pastrek, Executive Director of the Castro Theater Conservancy, and Gabe Moline, Senior Editor with KQED Arts and Culture. The phones are lighting up already with your favorite memories of the Castro, as well as what you think of the plan to renovate the theater the number is 866-733-6786, or you might want to try Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or KQED Forum. The email is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more on The Castro after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the planned renovations for the Castro Theater with Gabe Moline, senior editor with KQED Arts and Culture, Greg Perloff, the CEO of Another Planet Entertainment, which has the contract to manage the theater, Peter Pastrike, the executive director of the Castro Theater Conservancy, a nonprofit committed to the preservation of the theater. And of course, uh, we're talking to all of you as well. We're going to get to some calls in just a second. Uh, Peter Pastrike, wanted to ask you about the economic condition of the Castro um, it does seem pretty clear that across the country, this kind of theater has really struggled on a on a primarily film kind of basis. You actually had another plan to try to operate the theater as a nonprofit. Do you uh, want to talk about what what that would have entailed, and if you'd been able to renovate the theater in kind of the same way with a different kind of nonprofit model? Uh, sure. Um, the we. When the the um, conservancy started um, back before COVID, back in 2020, uh, because we were deeply concerned about the condition of of the theater, uh, and our our proposal at that time was that uh, we as as a nonprofit would raise the money to renovate the theater beautifully, uh, and and run it uh, as as a nonprofit presenting. Um, Concerts, film, film festivals, uh, and uh, lots of LGBTQ-related uh, uh, activities, um, more or less as it has been run in the past. But uh, we would agree that um, it's it's hard these days to run such a place um, and make and make money. Uh, I think actually that the the owners of the theater did make money, but at the sacrifice of not maintaining the theater. Mm. Um, and uh, it, I, I think it's great that Another Planet Entertainment wants to fix up the theater. We'd love to see them do it. Um, and much of what they want to do is uh, is laudable and, and should be done by somebody. Uh, but um, the, taking out the seats, which is absolutely what they want to do, and, and replacing them with some kind of portable... Uh, folding chairs or something else that that they have not yet demonstrated to anyone will work um, is is absolutely the wrong the wrong solution. Uh, he uh, Greg says that there'll still be festivals uh, and film, uh, but actually any but everyone I've spoken to and I've spoken to a very uh, lots and lots of people who are in the film world, no one thinks that. The, the Castro will continue to be uh, a place where film can be shown uh, if the, the seats are removed and four flat platforms put in their place. Just look at the Fox. Uh, in, o- in Oakland, there are two movie palaces operating, uh, and one of them is the Fox run by, uh, by APE, right. and uh, there are no movies there. Zero movies. The other one is the Paramount, designed by the same great architect, Timothy Fluger, as designed the Castro. 
Uh, and there are films and concerts, and uh, I often went over there to hear the Oakland Symphony play. Mm -hmm. um, there's comedy. Everything can take place there. It works. Uh, and there are actually dozens of great movie palaces around the country in Los Angeles, in Atlanta, Detroit, St. Louis, um, where uh, they those buildings are now accommodating not just movies, but concerts, rock concerts, and other kinds of concerts. Uh, and they and in most of them, I would say all of them, or virtually all of them, the seats are still there yeah. because the seats are absolutely part of <laughs> what makes a movie theater. Peter, uh, I just want to round out our uh, seat discussion here with a couple of uh, comments from listeners. Um, Roger writes, I like the Castro Theater. The silent film festival is one of the best events there, but I have not seen a lot written about the really uncomfortable seating in the Castro. I'm average height and build, but the seats, especially upstairs, are close together, narrow and hard. It makes watching a film cramped and squashed. I need a massage after watching a film there. I hope they change the seats to more comfortable, modern seats. Um, I, I, I have seen this comment around, actually, not just here, but, you know, uh, from other people. Um, would the seats need to be redone anyway, even if they were to be saved for this kind of reason? Uh, if you're asking me... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I would expect that a, a, a real renovation of, the, of uh, the Castro, whether done by us or by uh, APE, is running into the many millions of dollars. Uh, our a preliminary estimate when long before APE came on the scene was we would probably have to raise between 20 and 30 million dollars to 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 do it properly uh, and that would certainly include uh, changing the seats um, but changing them into in still uh, the kind of seats you have in movie houses uh, not uh, portable uh, folding chairs uh, okay that you are stacking uh, chairs, which are nothing nothing like what you find in okay, movie Greg. houses. Yeah. Greg, I do want to give you a chance. Uh, Tina tweets, can you specifically talk about the new seats and sight lines and how they'll be better than the current seats? And second, can you commit to a specific number of days for film? But let's talk about the seats first so we can get to the film question. Well, I think that it's really important to remind people that we don't own the theater. The Nasser family continues to own the theater. And what we're talking about doing is a very unusual situation, which is to put in millions of dollars to upgrade the Castro. Um, there are what we're trying to do is accomplish a number of goals. One of the goals is to obviously show film, but another goal is that spiritually a great number of LGBT artists are so excited about the plans and what's going on. And we've had the theater since January. We've put on a, a whole lot of shows. And what you find is when you talk to people, what they say to you is, oh my God, we love the Castro. And then they go, but the seats suck. You know, the bathrooms are horrible. It's dirty. It, you know, and they go on. And so there's this sort of, mixture of what you hear what we want to do is that we have have basically a code of conduct and that is to respect the neighborhood and what we want to do again is we want to um 
have this place is it's very inclusionary. Um, we want diversity, we want equity, and we want um, people to really enjoy coming to the theater. We're working with the finest architects and planners. I, I, I'm trying to um, not get into arguments today because we are going to have a better seating situation than what is there now. And we're not going to have folding chairs. We're going to have better sight lines. We're spending a great deal of time making this a different kind of theater. And, you know, we, I hope people will give us a chance. You know, we have a pretty good track record um, around, you know, around with what we've done. We have a very good track record. And, you know, the cash show is suffering. Um, we need to, um, we are absolutely going to show film. We've, we've been talking to, as for instance, Frameline, which is a very famous film festival. And, um, you know, the, no one represents the film community. I want to make that very clear, that each one of these organizations has, uh, has different needs and different wants. And so what we find is, from looking at the sales is that the, the festivals do extremely well. You know, when I say extremely well for film, whereas the repertory cinema doesn't quite do as well. And what we're trying to do is work with all of the organizations independently, find out what their needs are. The idea that we're not gonna have a place for film is just ludicrous. Why would I go in, spend all of this money for one of the most famous film houses in America and not show film? It just, it, on the surface, it makes no sense. And we're excited about, you know, showing film. Um, you know, many of the different uh, um, film houses, you know, they have, there are places all over the country where there's sofas, there are, you know, great food and beverage. There, every one of the new film houses is different. We can't go back to the 50s and what someone's idea of a film house is. Hey, Greg, We've got to move forward. Does it make sense then to just commit to a certain number of days for film and just say, listen, we're going to, you know, have at least this many days for, for film and this is our sort of like commitment to the community to, you know, uh, assuage the fears that people have that this is really just going to be, you know, a, a rock music venue? Well, so we've been in the theater now uh, for quite a number of months. And I hope you've noticed our programming. I hope you've noticed our film programming and committing. I mean, what do, what do I do if a famous film festival goes out of business? What I'm, what I was trying to say to you was there a, a normal theater, not a, just that does music and comedy. You're lucky if you have 130 shows. What I was saying is, there are 364 days a year, because we don't work on Christmas, um, to put activities in. That leaves 200 dates. So, um, you know, you, you've got so much time for film. Um, you also, uh, the, the, the other th area is this idea that we're going to raise rents on everybody. Well, the fact of the matter is we want to support nonprofit activities. We want to support 
um, people who you know are doing positive community events. We don't like haters. We want everything to be positive in this theater. And so what you've got is a situation where we, we make our, we know how we make our money. We're, listen, we're a for-profit organization. We make our money, you know, in the areas, um, in music and in, and in comedy. We don't have to suddenly raise everyone's rates, but the idea you won't raise rates is also ludicrous because for instance, you know, uh, the organ player got his first raise in 10 years with us. You know, people get, there's a cost of living. So you've got the CPI, which, yeah. you know, you've got to keep up economically. I'm not going to say that rates are, you know, we're not going to gouge people, but I'm not going to say that rates stay the same. We're going to have to take care of, you know, um, the staff. We're going to have to take care of people that they can make a living. You know, another Planet Entertainment was the only company in the music business of concert producers who kept everyone on payroll, didn't cut anyone's wages during the pandemic. So we have a track record of what we do and we support um, working people and we support. Hey, Greg, ideas. I'm going to I want to get to some of our of our calls. No, I, I and I appreciate okay. you kind of fill, filling us in. But I want to get to some of our calls here. Um, Rick in San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Um, you know, just a couple of quick points. I've had the super great privilege of presenting my work there. And I think the reason the Castro is important as it is, although it does need a little bit of help, is it's the frame around the picture. It's the film experience. It is a museum of the way people came to see films with all the hype, all the ballyhoo, all the ceremony. And that, I think, we've got to save. There's too few places like that. And on a broader level, San Francisco is mean to its monuments. We need to save some of our monuments, and I think this is a good place to start. Love the renovations, love the mixed use. This is all good, but let's yeah. keep the seating as it was designed in the 20s. Yeah. That's my thought. Thank you, Rick. Let's just go, uh, let's get some calls, because I want to open up some phone lines here. Uh, Robin in San Francisco, welcome. Hi. Hi, Robin. Go ahead. You're on. Hi there. <clears throat> I'm just calling to support Another Planet and their ideas about the renovation. I've lived in San Francisco since 1999 and been a strong supporter of this entertainment group. And things change. And honestly, I can't think of a better company who respects um, the history of the area and if you look at what they've done to other buildings, it's just beautiful. And I think that they're a company that really, truly cares. And if they say they're going to keep the seats in a way that makes it so that you can do both music and theater, I fully believe them. You can't go to a rock concert with seats and not dance. It's just how it works. <laughs> Thank you for that perspective, uh, Robin. I'm going to get uh, to Alan in San Francisco. Welcome, Alan. Hi. Um, I have a memory of the Castro that oh, great. Um, that really um, 
touches me, and it was the year 1977. Anita Bryant had her Save Our Children campaign Mm -hmm. against uh, gays. And I was sitting around my living room with some friends, and I said, just like in the movies, you know, let's put on a show (laughs) to raise money um, to fight her. And so uh, on May 14th, 1977, there was a huge show at the Castro. They gave it to me for free. But I had to do it at midnight because it was after the movie. So for three hours. We had an incredible live show there, and um, Armistead Maupin was the MC, and Maya Moscone was in the audience. We sold out. We had people lining up around the block that couldn't get in, and we sent um, almost $10,000 to Miami to fight Anita Bryant. Oh, man. What a memory, Alan. Thank you so much yeah. for, for oh, sharing that. By the way, the show was called Moon Over Miami. <laughs> um, thank you, uh, Alan, on the anti-Anita Bryant campaign um, show that they had at the Cash It's wonderful. Um, we have a couple of other uh, memory comments as well. Just trying to give you a sense of, of what this place has really meant to people. Uh, one listener tweets, The first time I came here was in high school. I saw the Tree of Life for the second time. It was the only theater within miles that was still playing it. And the last time was for the 2020 Noir City Film Fest right before COVID. Matthew writes, I remember with great fondness the sound of music sing-along at the Castro. Every patron was given a kit, including fake Edelweiss flowers to wave during the number. About 40 men and none drag raced to the stage during favorite things. The audience was raucous and joyous, and I felt real magic. You know, Gabe Moline, senior editor with KQD Arts and Culture, you know, the, the ownership that people feel over this theater feels like it's in the, of the same kind, but maybe at a different scale from other uh, cultural institutions around the city. Yeah, I mean, uh, people always feel a deep, deep connection to movie theaters. You know, it's where they uh, have these life-changing experiences, you know, sitting in the dark with other people, you know, staring up at a screen. Um but yeah, I, I I think this is a distinctly Bay Area thing, you know, um, the Nassers own the Castro Theater. Uh, but even though the title may have someone's name on it, that person like doesn't really own it, right? You know, the community is invested in it. They have a sense of ownership over it too. And they're going to fight for it. Like this is happening with People's Park and Oakland Coliseum. Um, uh, so it's, th- this is where we're at. I, uh, you know, the, there's a uh, I should mention that there's a meeting coming up um, with the planning commission on October 5th. Um, uh, I talked to Supervisor Mandelman's office and Supervisor Mandelman um, uh, asked that the landmark status of the Castro Theater uh, be broadened to include the full historical, architectural, aesthetic and cultural interest and value of the Castro Theater. Uh, right now, the landmark status only covers the outside. This would cover the inside. Which means um, the seats. Well, uh, that depends. Um, I can tell you a little bit more about that later. Yeah, let's talk about it after the break. Yeah, we're talking about the planned renovations for the Castro Theater. Stay tuned for more calls and more from Another Planet Entertainment and the Castro Theater Conservancy after the break. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We are talking about the future of the Castro Theater. She's getting some beautiful memories of that place uh, and talking about what it will be going forward. We're joined by Gabe Moline, Senior Editor of KQD Arts and Culture, Greg Perloff, CEO of Another Planet Entertainment, Peter Pastrick, uh, Executive Director of the Castro Theater Conservancy. Going to go back to the phones here. Uh, Mark in San Francisco, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. My name is Mark Husis. I've produced shows at the Castro since 1982. I've produced 50 shows there with movie stars like Debbie Reynolds, Jane Russell, John Waters, many of which have said that the, the, their show there was one of the great highlights of their lives. Um, I'm not going to talk about my shows. The memory that I have most ingrained in my heart is in 1990 when Paris is Burning had its first rough cut screening at the Castro. And that movie not only changed the world, but as LGBTQ people rocked our planet. And um, there's just so many memories at the Castro. The other thing I want to say is as a producer, they keep saying they're going to raise the rent and, and given the renovations, that's fine. But they're also going to reduce the seating capacity in the orchestra uh, and I was given a, a, a figure from 100 to 300 seats. Now, when you reduce the seating capacity, you rip out any profit motive that an independent producer has. And they talk about economic viability. Wait, why is that, Mark? Originally, is that just because if, if you're going to sell a relatively small orchestra, number of, okay, of seats, then... Seats, yes, okay, so the orchestra seats, like one of my events, I have to uh, spend... I have to have at least 800 people to make a profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, uh, in terms of other venues in San Francisco, they talk about how Castro rent was undervalued. I know the numbers. The Herbst Theater is $1,200 a night to rent. I paid a lot more than that when I rented the Castro Theater, and it was market rate. Um, when you rip out 300 seats, for $75 for a meet and greet in the orchestra, you are talking about $18,000, $19,000. My shows used to cost $40,000 to produce. That completely wipes out any profit I would have, and it would make any show that I would want to do completely unviable. Um, Greg, do you have a, a direct response to that? Just like on I the uh, – yeah, go, go ahead. I do. Uh, first of all, um, we have to make money too. And so why on earth would I rip out 300 seats? I mean, just think about it on the surface. Now, 
Might we lose 100 seats by making the seating a little bit wider, the leg room a little bit better, you know, the, the whole thing a little more comfortable? We, we probably will. But, you know, part of what we're trying to do, and I keep talking about, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of um, stakeholders. And if I put lifts in, which I plan to put two lifts in, uh, for, uh, you know, for, for people who need them, that takes up room. But it's okay that, you know, you, you'd think I'd be making the argument to be putting more capacity in and more people. We're going to put the appropriate number of people in, but we're also going to improve the theater in the process. And, um, you know, there, there, are, there are only a certain number of ways you can do it. And I, I won't get into the, you know, how the theater was built 100 years ago, but there are structural changes that we're making. But what we're not, but no one's accusing us of being, uh, you know, crazy enough to take out 300 seats. I mean, that, that just wouldn't make any sense. Well, hey, Mark, thank you for your uh, memory there and, and uh, you know, filling us in. Thank you for your shows over time. Um, we have a, a great um, another memory coming in. Uh, Damon writes, the first time I saw Gone with the Wind was at the Castro Theater in 1989 for the 50th anniversary. It was my first straight immersion in gay culture in the Castro District, and it was wonderful. I can't think of a better way to experience that movie than in a beautiful period theater full of queer and straight people booing at every villain, clapping along with the organist in intermission, quoting every famous line, cheering heroic moments. Wonderful, wonderful memories. Uh, Dave Carricker in uh, San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thanks for having me on. So I'm the uh, co-president of the Castro Merchants Association, and uh, obviously I have a very big vested interest in the Castro because I'm also a business owner there. And I think it's important for folks to understand that this is not about one company, not about one building, and definitely not about a group of seats. Uh, this is about the health and well-being of every single small business in the Castro. And I think everybody can hear pretty loud and clear, as everybody's been stating, that the Castro needs the Castro Theater to, to succeed because we've been just devastated during the pandemic. Um, so for me, this is very clearly not an all or nothing proposition. So I've got two questions really, and that is, um, is there room for compromise? Can both parties see what this means to the, the, the small business community and the residential community and come to a compromise? And then the second question is, if the Conservancy's efforts uh, uh, to derail another planet's plans and they walk away from the deal what is the immediate plan b that will keep the owners of the building from shuttering it and taking the tax break or selling it to crunch gym as we saw with the alhambra mm. peter i think we got to come to you on this one first uh sure well <laughs> we've tried uh many efforts to find a compromise with uh with APE, uh, they've made clear they're not interested in compromise. It's going to be their way or no way. Uh, and what they want is essentially to duplicate what they did with the Fox in Oakland, uh, where there are no movies, uh, even though it was originally conceived as a movie theater. Um, so uh, we're, we're not very optimistic that we're going to find a compromise here. Um, so the, the second question is, what if APE walks away from this? Uh, our understanding is that 
it won't be that easy for them to do that. Uh, they just might have to be forced to compromise because the city doesn't permit them to wreck the, the orchestra floor of this theater. Uh, and that is certainly our hope, that they will be prevented from doing that. Uh, they'll, they'll most likely then have to go ahead and do other things. Uh, and, uh, and I agree that there are 200 nights that could be used for, for film and other things. Uh, so there's a possi one possibility is that APE uh, operates it on, on the basis that uh, something like what it has been doing before, but more concerts. Another possibility is APE finds a way to walk away from it, at which point uh, the obvious solution, we think, is something like what, uh, what goes on in Marin County at, at the, uh, the California Film Institute, which operates the Smith-Raphael uh, Theater, uh, and uh, it's a nonprofit. There, there are films going on every day, um, and there are other activities besides film, but it's mostly film there, uh, and it's highly successful. Uh, I, I'd highly successful. Yeah, Greg. I'd like to speak on this point because there are a lot of stakeholders involved with the Castro Theater. You know, we, we haven't mentioned very much the LGBT community. You know, we haven't mentioned, you know, as much as we should have with, and I think, um, you know, the people, uh, the shop owners and, and the bar owners, that they have an interest in having people come to the district. See, it's not just about film. It's about many things. And it's very important that we understand what it's going to take to, to help the, the Castro as a community and not just, you know, one stakeholder. We're trying to satisfy a lot of stakeholders here. And I think it's getting lost right now. Um, you know, th there's more. Well, let's, you know, let's hear. I think you're right that we haven't talked enough about the LGBTQ community. Uh, Stephen wanted to talk about that. Stephen in San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hi there. Uh, my name is Stephen Torres. I'm the one of the executive coaches of the Castro LGBTQ Cultural District. I'm heartened to hear Mr. Perloff mention the community as, um, you know, one of the express purposes of the cultural districts in San Francisco is to preserve and continue our, um, our sustain our, our cultures. And, you know, I think one thing that is lost on another planet or another planet hasn't acknowledged, there's been a lack of accountability and transparency in regards to that which we shared with them that was um, shared to us by the many Castro stakeholders, including the LGBTQ community. And, and they have been reluctant or dismissive in regards to that which we shared with them in terms of key points and uh, the desire to come to a compromise or an MOU or put things in writing, especially in regards to ensuring the safety of the community especially when concerts let out and our venues and queer spaces are flooded with lots of people from outside the neighborhood. Um, I think... Uh, Stephen, can you, know, you describe a couple the, of those specifics, just the things that, you, that you're really looking for specifically? Yeah, you know, that there would be LGBTQ-centered programming, that there would be um, an in-house programmer that they would hire specific to that, that there would be an in-house programmer that would be hired specifically to repertory film, 
um, you know, like some of these things they've refused on or they've said that they won't do. And I asked, you know, point blank, I asked his partner, Mary Condi, you know, what is the bottom line of removing the seats? And she couldn't, she would not answer that directly in public. But during the tour, they acknowledged that even music, even the things for which they have focused on over these years, they've had to change their business formula. It's ripping out the seats and leveling off the auditorium also allows for them to have private events. And whereas those can be extremely lucrative and make the a business sustainable, they don't really do anything for our neighborhood. You know, one of the people in the auditorium at the community <clears throat> meeting that we asked for in January, but just happened a few weeks ago, um, pointed out that at the Fox Theater this very month, there was only 14 days of activity. So that's two weeks of the theater being dark for us. You know, even if it's a wedding or a party that's happening inside that does very little for our community. So I think for us, for the cultural district, it's just important that, you know, in the same spirit of what Dave has shared, which is I think is very important, is that, you know, that they that they outline, they put in tape on paper, you know, some answers to the to the lots of concern that was shared with them by the community at the community meeting and has been by us since January. Thank you for that, Stephen. You know, Greg, what I wanted the way I wanted to ask you this question is since you got the contract for the Castro and then we're kind of surprised by the level of blowback, at least by public statements from the company, how have your plans kind of substantively changed in response to that community reaction? Well, one, we continue to meet with people constantly, you know, and whether it's the arts community, the queer community, the um, the film community, you know, there are only so many hours in a day and we're still trying to, you know, work with the architects and engineers. And, um, you know, there are so many issues to bring the cash show back to life that one of the things is we don't want to lose track of the fact that you know the the construction costs are going up very quickly and very dramatically and so we meet with people all the time but we also meet with the folks that are going to help to restore this theater um i think that uh the the amount of love for the theater let's put it in a more positive way that people care about this theater. And you can only imagine the pressure we feel to do the right thing, to make, you know, all, all of San Francisco's eyes are on us. And, you know, we, we feel, uh, you know, a great sense of responsibility in making this project, you know, work for as many people as possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, I asked it before, but doesn't it make sense to, you know, commit to some kind of memorandum of understanding that just says, hey, listen, we understand this, this, and this. Here are sort of like public commitments um, to this theater, given its history. We have a commitment, I'll say it again, to maintain the and improve what the casual means to people to be appropriate in the neighborhood it's in, to spiritually, you know, have the appropriate comedians, have the appropriate musicians. Now, at the same time, do I like to censor people? I don't like to censor people. But we've heard what everyone has said, um, and there's it's mostly fear. It, you know, we, 
If you look at the programming we've done in the last seven or eight months, I don't think anyone will have an issue with it. Well, we've booked an awful lot of those shows. And so it, the, it's the fear of change, not that we plan on changing the programming. Um, and I think it's important for people to look at what we've done. They, they know where we stand politically for sure. I don't make, um, I, I'm very outspoken about uh, what's going on around the country. Um, and uh, it, it's a scary situation. And it doesn't matter if it's, uh, you know, a situation that we need to support women's groups, we need to support the LGBT community. We're in a bubble here in San Francisco. And uh, certainly another Planet Entertainment recognizes that and knows how important it is that we continue to be that safe haven, um, you know, around the, the country and around the world. And so we're committed to making it, you know, to making it right. Everyone, you know, wants uh, specific numbers, but you can't, you know, you can't just say, I'm, I'm gonna have 17 of these and 18 of those. Um, but I can tell you that if you look at our programming so far, I think we're doing an excellent job. Uh, a couple more uh, comments just want to get to. Sarah writes, as a teacher who cannot afford to attend events at the renovated Fox Theater, I'm afraid that after 50 years of attending films on a regular basis at the Castro, I'll only be able to go during the film festivals and never in between. I live very close to the Elmwood Theater in Berkeley. Uh, that will be one of the only remaining movie houses here very soon and has run very successfully by a nonprofit as a movie's only venue for the last 20 years. Richard writes, as a resident of the Castro for 33 years, I and my neighbors are thrilled to see it restored. The Castro neighborhood has struggled for decades with blight and homelessness, and all investment is encouraged. I work at the city's newest arena, and the portable seats are comfortable and a smart choice. Uh, another listener, Trish, uh, just wants to know where to go to uh, take a look at the plans. And Gabe, Maline, can you, for people who want to like stay involved with this issue, um, where can they go uh, to to make sure they're staying involved? Right. So, um, like I was saying before, this landmark designation covering the Castro Theater is uh, being reviewed by the Historic Preservation Commission. They are reviewing it right now. They are making decisions on whether the landmark status will cover the seats or not. And there is a hearing on Wednesday, October 5th, that starts at 1.30. They'll give their recommendations, which will then be turned into an ordinance. And then afterward, the supervisors can decide to adopt it or not adopt it in a meeting. So you can submit your written content to the email address commissions.secretary at sfgov.org commissions.secretary at sfgov.org they are expecting a flood of emails about this <laughs> and because gabe won't plug his own work you can also keep it locked on kqed we will we're definitely going to be covering this i want to thank you gabe maline senior editor kqed arts and culture greg perloff ceo of another planet entertainment thank you for coming on i really do appreciate it my pleasure and Peter Pestrick, Executive Director of the Castro Theater Conservancy, thank you as well for your perspective. One other place they can go is savethecastro.org, our website, lots of information there that they should read. Thank you Thanks for so much. having us. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with Mina Kim.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.